Welcome to Influencer Marketing Talks, brought to you by Cure Media, the leading influencer marketing company for fashion brands. This is your weekly podcast to learn more about influencer marketing and social media in right around 15 minutes. I'm Frida Ekholm. And I'm Sana Oudmark. And in this week's episode, we'll take a closer look at seven long-lived myths about influencer marketing. And once and for all, we debunk them with the truth. Sana, why do you think there are so many misconceptions about influencer marketing? I think one of the main reasons is that it's a relatively young channel that is constantly evolving and things are changing all the time. So things do not look the same today as it did just a couple of years ago. And therefore, many old truths are lingering around. And also as some sort of defense mechanism, I think... That if you don't understand how something works, it might be easier to just dismiss instead of actually figuring out the truth. Yeah. But that's not how you reach success. No, it's actually really dangerous to hold on to these ones. Yeah. I think many people do it in their everyday lives. Like yeah. in small things. <laughs> yeah. Not only when it comes to influence marketing. No. It's like this one when you were young and you couldn't go swimming. Uh, within one hour after you have eaten. That's also a big myth. Yeah, <laughs> just because your parents wanted to chill. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand them though. Yeah, so this takes us to the first myth. Influencer marketing is risky and you have no control about what the influencer puts out there. And the truth? A detailed brief is essential for every influencer collaboration. Yes. And what do we mean by that? Well, even though you should never restrict the influencers in their creativity, you can always and you should always define concrete guidelines for your collaboration. You need to make sure they are on the same page as you. The more they know about your business and your goals, the better preconditions they have to perform in line with your KPIs. And it's also easier for you to, to have control over what the output will be. Yeah, and this is also one part of our influencer activation process at Cure Media to review the influencer's content and approve drafts. Definitely. The images don't just pop up in no, the feed. definitely not. I think this channel is easier to control from a brand safety perspective compared to many other channels, actually. And writing a good brief is totally an art. It can't be too long uh, because then... The influencers won't have the time to read it. It needs to allow for creative freedom, but also provide a clear and concise framework with no room for misunderstanding. And that's important that you mentioned, allow for creative freedom. Yeah, so back to the myth. It's definitely possible to control what the output will be like. And uh, as you said, Frida, it's not that just the collaboration will pop out there without you having the ability to, to approve and check the output before. And that takes us to myth number two. It's cheaper to do influencer marketing in-house compared to outsourcing it to an influencer marketing agency. And here comes the truth. It often gets more expensive working with influencer marketing in-house since it takes more time and resources than what many people think. And when you say time, we mean it takes time to find the right influencers and develop relationships with them. And we yeah. all know time is money. It surely is. And there are a lot of things 
around a collaboration and around influence marketing that people don't think of, I think. Yeah. So a lot of things take time. Yeah. We actually have a good infographic about this. You can link it. Yeah. Except from what you said, Frida, about finding the right influencers and developing these relationships, the legal aspects also takes a lot of time. Writing, negotiating contracts, setting rates, licensing, uh, all those parts that need to be in place. Yeah, and also the things around like staying up to date with the latest trends and create marketing strategies centered around those trends. As we mentioned in a previous episode, like social commerce, TikTok, uh, Reels. Yeah. It's moving quickly. Definitely. And I mean, all those companies that do it successfully in-house, they mostly, most cases, they have big teams uh, for every market that they are on because you have, you need to have this uh, local knowledge as well. There's also a risk for fake influencers and scams, which is very costly because you threw your money on nothing. Yeah. So back to the myth, it often is not cheaper to do it in-house if you're not doing it at a really small scale, of course. Then it's easier to handle it in-house. But when you want to scale it, when you want to go big and enter new markets and do it as a like big marketing channel in the media mix, it takes much time and resources. Yes, so this takes us to myth number three. To make influencer marketing collaborations that are trustworthy and credible, you need to work with the same influencers over a longer period of time. What's the truth behind this, Anna? Well, we think that, of course, you need to work with a channel over a longer period of time, but it doesn't necessarily have to be with the exact same influencers. You really need to test and see which influencer that works best for you and your brand with regards to your business goals and KPIs, of course. And some may work over and over again, while other may not. Yeah. So the answer is not simple. I mean, if you find influencers that really perform well um, with your goals and your uh, strategy, keep working with them, but make sure that you also replace and exchange the ones that doesn't perform. It's like any other digital strategy and you need to continuously optimize the results, fine-tune and see uh, what's working for you. Yes, that's very important. And it's also important to give the influencers time and not judge after one single collaboration. Sometimes it takes time to get to know the audience for the influencers, uh, see what's working and see what's working. I mean, even if they know your audience, you might be a new brand for the audience. So they might need some time to get to know your brand. Yeah. And maybe they work better for stories or posts. So that could also be a yeah, something Def to take into consideration. Definitely. The truth is, long term is always good, but it doesn't have to be with the exact same influencers. No. Moving on to myth number four. Either you choose to work with a few big macro or celebrity influencers, or you work with many micro influencers. The truth is, you can and you should do a mix. Yes. The answer here is also not black or white, because when you start working with influence marketing, you should always test trial and error to see what strategy works best for you. 
because the result depends on so many different factors and it's always a risk to put all your eggs in the same basket. Or in this case, all of your influencer budgets on one type of influencer. For example, you can collaborate with uh, bigger influencers to create a hype or that you want to be associated with this person from a brand ambassador point of view. And then you can have the micro-influencer strategy as an always-on foundation, serving as the basis. As you said, Sanna, the similarity with the fireworks and the campfire. Yeah, exactly. We used to, to make that metaphor. Because as with all marketing, this is like one of the things marketers talk about the most is that you need to test and test and test to find your unique recipe for success. And it's the same here. Myth number five. Influencers always resemble their followers. And the truth is that an influencer and his or her followers can display very different characteristics. Here it is really important to keep in mind that there are various reasons for someone to follow an influencer. And it's not always because they feel or have a similar lifestyle to this person. It could be... The influencer could be in a specific niche and have followers because of that. Yeah. So, for example, a 30-year-old influencer might not have followers who are 30-year-old themselves, but maybe they are young people between the ages of 18 and 25 or even younger or older. It doesn't have to be the same at all. No, so you really need to keep an eye on the data here, the target audience data. Yeah. So what does this mean for brands, Sana, and why is this a very dangerous myth to hold on to? I would say that previously influence marketing was very profile-focused, influencer-focused. When brands came to us, they asked us, which influencers do you have? Do you have this one or this one? We really want to work with this specific person. And that's super dangerous because when you go back and look at this person's follower data, it shows that this brand's target audience was not among this person's followers. For example, we had one brand that wanted to reach men in Sweden um, in their 30s, and they wanted to work with an influencer who was a man and in his 30s because they liked him and they thought it was a good brand match. And when we looked at his followers' data, we could see that a majority, like 80 or 90% of his followers were actually women and in their 20s. Because they, for some reason, liked his account. (laughs) And that wouldn't be a good match for this brand since they wouldn't reach their target audience by working with this influencer. So, as you said, Frida, always look at the follower data as well. This takes us to myth number six. Influencer marketing is not trustworthy since influencers get paid to say certain things. And the truth is... If you do it the right way, influence marketing is one of the most effective ways to build trust among your target audience. But you need to ensure it's a good match. So the influencer you collaborate with must fit your brand. And not only brand fit, uh, but also the followers data, of course. And the influencer must like your brand. Otherwise, this will shine through. It's very clear. Yeah, that's super important. Consumers today are very critical and skeptical towards what they see as advertising. So you need to have a sophisticated approach and doing this in a way that is 
relevant and trustworthy. Yeah, because an influencer, you follow them over a longer period of time and they become like a friend to you. So if they pop up and collaborate with a brand that's like not relevant at all, it will, you, the followers will notice this. Yeah, if they just do it one single time, you mean? Yeah, or if the brand fit is not relevant at all. Yeah, and it was certainly easier a couple of years ago when this was not such a big thing. Um, but I recommend you to listen to the episode with Jonas Koliander. He is a researcher at Stockholm School of Economics and we had him as a guest previously this spring because he knows what he's talking about and he explains why we trust influencer posts and influencer collaborations even if we know they get paid. Because, I mean, we can see that it's a sponsored post, that it's in paid collaboration with. But, yeah, that's how our brain mechanism works still. Yes, so we have the last myth. The last myth, and I would say also one of the biggest myths, is that influencer marketing can't be measured. And the truth here is that it's even easier to measure influencer marketing compared to many other traditional media channels. You just need to know where to look. Yeah, definitely. And as this is one of the most long-lived myths, do you think it will ever go away? I hope so. And I think so. I think we're getting there. As the channel matures and more and more companies understand the role that it plays in relation to the other channels and as you said, where to look for the results and how to measure it, I think it will eventually go away. And we understand this is tricky. In our annual brand survey on the state of influencer marketing, 62% of brands say that this is the number one challenge they have with influencer marketing to yeah. measure the effect. Yeah, it's definitely. And I mean, again, back to what we said in the beginning of the episode, if it's something that is hard to grasp or to understand, it's easier to dismiss it like, no, we don't do that because it's difficult to measure or in this case, it can't be measured rather than actually searching for the truth, finding ways to measure it uh, because that's totally possible to measure. Frida, why do you think so many out there still think that it can't be measured? Why is this one of the most long-lived myths? Yeah, I think this is because it's a new and constantly evolving channel. It's moving fast and yeah. the platforms and the consumers are steering the movement. So you might not have as much control as you have with many traditional channels because you really yeah. need to be on your toes. Yeah, the brand is in the backseat and the consumers are driving the car. Yeah. And also because much of the effect is generated via other channels for influence marketing. So this makes it more difficult to measure it directly. Yeah. And back to that you need to know where to look. Definitely. We talk more about how to measure these indirect effects or spillover effects in episode number four, if you want to go back and listen more about how to measure influence marketing. And this takes us to the end of another episode of Influence Marketing Talks. And hopefully we can leave this long-lived myth behind us now. Yes, let's do that. Make sure you follow us on our social media platforms at Cure Media to continue the conversation around influence marketing, social media and myths if you want to learn more about that. Also, if you like the podcast, give us a rating in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app.